First thing we want to look at this morning is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as Anthony has already gotten us started here, the Holy Spirit is a person. And I think um, that what he's saying is correct. I think there's a tendency, even among Christians, not to recognize that. I mean, if they were to sit down and think about it, yeah, they'd say that's true. But we do tend to not see the Holy Spirit uh, as a person. And part of that is because our sense of personhood is flawed. Uh, the truth is nobody knows how to define a person. Uh, there, there was a lawsuit in Tennessee called the Seven Embryos in which Pierre Lejeune, who was the guy that developed the, science, the French scientist who developed the issue of the chromosome, testified that conception, uh, that a person began at conception when there was a coming together of the seed and, and the sperm. Uh, and he was cross-examined rather strongly by the pro-abortion attorney. And uh, he said, how can you say that? And ultimately, Lejeune's comment is, sir, your understanding of personhood is flawed. Well, if we don't understand personhood in the human time-space continuum, we have difficulty grasping it on the heavenly level. So we want to look at who the Holy Spirit is in that sense and understand that he is, in fact, a person and he is the third person of the Trinity. Contrary to Star Wars and the New Age movement, he is not a force. <laughs> Incidentally, the force goes back to pagan religion. You know, the, the good side of the force and the, the bad, bad side of the force, that's pagan religion that predates the Christian era. Yeah. Star Wars is a bunch of garbage. Now, it might be entertaining, but theologically it's garbage. And it is pushing a form of religion that is based on uh, pagan uh, dualism from before uh, the Christian era. And a lot of that is finding its way into Hollywood and the medium media today. Uh, the uh, what, what was the one that just came out a couple of years ago? Is it Avatar? Avatar. Okay, that's Hinduism, folks. Yeah. And whenever you know, we believe Christianity teaches, and we'll look at this in a little bit. There is one incarnation: Jesus, the God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who took on humanity. Hinduism teaches there are thousands of incarnations. Yeah. They call them avatars. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you go to the movies, you better have your thinking cap on very carefully because they are pushing a bunch of garbage on you that's straight out of the pit. Yeah. And my humble opinion, and of course all my opinions are humble, uh, because they're right, and I have to be humble about that. <laughs> my humble opinion, better not to go. Better not to spend the money. That'd be my opinion, but that's that's your call. But you better have your thinking cap on when you go in there. The same is true of television. They're pushing their agendas on you, and uh, it may be entertaining, but you better pay close attention to what they're saying because they are. And I'm seeing Christians who are being affected by what they see. They don't even realize they're affected by what they're seeing. So anyway, enough of that. He is not. He is not as. 
as Anthony says, he's not a puff of smoke, he's not a gas. Uh, now, none of us would say that, but I think kind of conceptually in the back of our minds, we kind of tend to think of that. You take the, yeah, again, Holy Ghost, that does kind of tend to, I like the term, I use the term all the time, but it does kind of give you this sense of uh, with a puff of smoke, you know, out there, uh, Halloween and everything else. It is an absolute improper understanding of who he is. And one of the ways in which we know that he's a person is by the way in which we define personhood, which I'm going to do. And you'll see that it applies to us in a lot of ways as much as it does him. One is he has personality. <laughs> he has characteristics uh, that prove he is a person. For example, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 10 and 11 uh, tell us that he is intelligent. Uh, I, 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 I say that with reverence. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I think he was an idiot. No, by golly, he's intelligent. Uh, oh, my, you mean it thinks? I'm saying that with great reverence. He is not just intelligent, folks. He is omniscient. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 2 uh, 10 and 11 says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. He's not just intelligent. I mean, he's highly intelligent. He is uh, actually omniscient. If you look at Ephesians 4.30 you will see that not only does the spirit have mind. In other words, our souls are defined as mind, will, and emotion. You will find the same is true of him. Why is the same true of him that's true of us? Because we're created in his image. Okay? Ephesians 4.30 He has feelings. <laughs> You can. <laughs> Let's just pick up um, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, here's what will grieve him. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. <clears throat> I... I remember one time, sometimes when I'm preparing to teach, there are rare events. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but it's delightful when it does. The Holy Spirit will begin to teach me. But I'm, I'm getting, I was going to teach a Sunday school class a few years ago, and the Holy Spirit was, uh, sometimes it's almost like dictation, and I'm, I'm writing as fast as I can. doesn't happen often. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not Isaiah. Uh, but occasionally he'll do that. Well, I was studying, and all of a sudden he started speaking. One of my daughters came in and said, Dad, there's a great movie on. I said, be back in a couple hours. Left, watched the movie, came back, picked up my pencil. Nothing. Nothing. Why? I'd grieved him. I'd quenched him. I found the movie more important than he was. Now, is that sin? You bet it is. And I had to confess that. There have been times when I've said something 
you know, for example, maybe criticize somebody. Now, I never do that, of course. <laughs> Let's step back first, though. <laughs> now, since I just sinned, you need to get out of there. But I've had times when I've said something with my mouth, and all of a sudden there's this sense of grief in my heart. It's the Holy Spirit has been grieved, because I know before I wouldn't have thought twice about it. You ever had the Holy Spirit just give you this sense of grief? It's because He has emotion. And he can be grieved by some of the things we say and do, or fail to do. Uh, he can tell us to do something, we don't do it. You get this sense of, of uh, grief in your heart. Uh, I always, I feel like somebody spilled hot soup inside me or something. You know, it's just this mm -hmm. sense of grief. It's because uh, he has, he's a person. He's mind, will, and emotion. Will, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 2.11 again. Uh, and you'll see there that the will is also revealed. Um, it says that, uh, I'm sorry, it's not 1 Corinthians 2.11, it's 1 Corinthians 12. Um, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So you see that he has characteristics that are very similar or the same as us, mind, will, and emotion. The better way to say it is we have characteristics that are similar to him. He has mind, will, and emotion. So do we because we're created in his image. Uh, he chooses in this passage, he chooses to give gifts and ministries as he determines best. He decided what gift you're given. He decided what your ministry is. Because he called you for a particular purpose, not only in this life, but in the one to come. And so he decides that. He decides what you're going to get. Uh, you, don't, uh, you don't like the gift you have? Be careful. Because he's the one that decided to give it to you. He made you for the purposes that he is using you for. I've said this before in the Sunday school class many times, more than once, and that is he made each of our personalities uniquely so that ultimately Jesus might display himself through us according to our personality. See, we're, you know, snowflakes are all different, you know, and so we are too. And Jesus wants to manifest himself through each one of us according to our personality. You're wasting time if you're worried that you're not like so-and-so. You're not like so-and-so because Jesus made you like you so that he can manifest himself through you the way he made you. Otherwise, we'd be all just one big cookie. And we're not. We're all individuals. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is manifesting through us to show us Jesus through us to the rest of the world as he made us and he gives gifts and ministries as he chooses. You don't choose it, he chooses. Jesus is not here to carry out your agenda, folks. You're here to carry out his agenda. And he has made you accordingly, and the Holy Spirit has gifted you as he wills. Okay, now, secondly, we said first his personality shows that he's a person. Secondly, uh, his works also prove uh, that he is a person. Uh, he teaches, remember we said that uh, earlier in John, uh, it's actually John 14, that particular one, 
Uh, I quoted from John 16, but John 14, 26 says, uh, But the, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now you have contained in that verse the Trinity. The Father will send the Holy Spirit and he, who is he? The Holy Spirit will teach you all that I, who is I, Jesus, said. The Holy Spirit teaches. He came from the Father. He teaches and brings to memory everything that Jesus said. You have the triune God right there uh, in that verse. The three of them working together to bring us uh, into his presence and conform us to look like his people. Okay. Um, uh, example of his teaching here's, here's a good example of it uh, for example Acts 2 uh, 16 let's see well, first of all if you, uh, if you look at Luke 24 and I, I'll give you the I don't know if I can give you the it's about verse 45 this is after Jesus' resurrection. Um, yeah, verse 45, Luke 24. Jesus says, the risen Christ, he's in the upper room with them. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay? Now, go over to John 20. Keep your finger in Acts. John 20. John's equivalent of Luke's statement that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures is in John 20. John 20, uh, verse 20. Um, verse 22. And this again is Jesus, the same time period, same place, upper room, resurrected Christ on the day of the resurrection. And verse 22. And then he said this, when, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Luke's way of describing that is he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. John's way of describing that is he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit coming into their lives that opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Now look at first, before we go to Acts 2, look at Acts 1. Eventually I'm going to get to Acts 2 next week. Alright, Acts 1. Jesus has ascended. They have begun to engage the 120 of them in constant prayer. Uh, verse 15, this is before Pentecost. The Spirit hasn't fallen yet. This is before Pentecost. But the Spirit was breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and their minds were open to understand the Scripture. Look at Peter, verse 15, Acts 1. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Uh, and then they, you get into a parenthesis. For he was counted among us and received his share of the ministry. And then uh, verses 18 and 19 explain what happened to Jesus, picking up with what Peter is saying, what happened to Judas. 
Picking up with what Peter says in verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another take his office. Therefore it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us from from the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until today, he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Where did Peter get that? How did he know to take Psalms? In 69, Psalm 69, how did he know to take Psalm 69 and apply it to the situation of Judas Iscariot? Because the Holy Spirit had opened his mind to understand the scriptures. See, you can't understand the scriptures themselves without the Holy Spirit in you. Because he's teaching you. You know, he teaches. Uh, Here's Peter at Pentecost. Uh, Peter is saying Acts uh, 2.16 but uh, you know they come out speaking in tongues and these are known tongues folks. These are not unknown tongues. They are tongues spoken by the various Jews from all over the Roman Empire who are there to celebrate Pentecost. It is a picture of of God saying remember what I did at the Tower of Babel when I confused their languages? I'm reversing that. And the picture of the tongues at Pentecost is a picture of the reversal of battle. Because they all hear the apostles speaking in their tongue. And some of them say, what is this? And some others say, well, they're just high on the wine. And Peter said, can't be that because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Bars aren't even open. So that's not what it is. And then he proceeds to say, this is that which was spoken to the prophet Joel. And then beginning in verse 11 through 16, he makes application of the prophecy of Joel to what they are hearing. Now how does he do that? Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is teaching Peter as he is speaking. See, that's what he teaches. I guess I made that point. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, his works uh, declare that he is a person. Uh, we know from Acts 4 when Peter and John are brought up before the Sanhedrin for healing the cripple. And after they said, By what power did you do this? And Peter says, Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter says, if we are being brought to account for a good deed to a cripple, then let you let it be known today that he was healed in the name of Jesus, by whom there is salvation in no other. Now, an interesting statement that the Sanhedrin makes, uh, that Luke makes about the Sanhedrin, they noted that these guys were unlearned and uneducated and then realized they'd been with Jesus. Things like that happen when you've been with Jesus. You know? And they noticed it. Uh, because they saw the teaching of the Holy Spirit and they were absolutely stopped in their tracks because they had the man that was crippled standing right next to them and they couldn't say anything. They couldn't do anything. These are the learned people. These are the PhDs. They can't do anything because of these ignorant, uneducated. Don't ever derate yourself, berate yourself, tear yourself down for lack of education. The Holy Spirit is ready to make up for that. In fact, he'll make... He'll make the people with lack of educa- with the education look foolish. A story I like to tell often 
uh, is the great uh, um, Thomas Huxley, who was big into uh, evolution, and he was the guy that was responsible for arguing with all the PhDs, and he was brilliant himself and all this, arguing with the PhDs of his time in the 19th century to support the idea that evolution is not merely limited to the scientific level area, but covers the social area. And we can't, don't have time to get into that, but that's impacted us tremendously as a culture. And he was staying one uh, weekend at an English manor house. He was, of course, a famous man for his intellect and his brilliance at the time. And they were on Sunday, we're all getting ready to go to church. Well, Huxley was an atheist, so he wasn't getting ready to go to church. But one little parlor maid was all dressed up to go to church, and Huxley said, rather than go to church, why don't you just stay here and tell me about the basis of your faith? And she said, oh, sir, you could tear me up. I mean, I couldn't begin to deal with you on your level. I mean, I'm just a little parlor maid. I ain't got no education. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm not here to argue with you. Just stay and tell me about your faith. She did, and within an hour, she had him in tears. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, that I could have your faith. The education hasn't got anything to do with it. So don't ever berate yourself if you have. Oh, if I just had my degree. Well, fine, if you can get one, get it. But otherwise, the Holy Spirit make up for it. Because uh, he teaches. He's the PhD yes. that, that teaches. Huh? Summa cum laude. Yeah. <laughs> See, okay. I, I say the Sanhedrin, you know, I look at them as they're religious. They're religious, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're self-righteous and religious. But they have no relationship. It, that's why I tell everybody, you can call me old, fat, and ugly, I don't care. Don't call me religious. That makes me angry, and I'll sit you down and tell you the difference between Christianity and religion. Well, I had an atheist neighbor one time who used to like to talk to me, and he said, tell me about, he said, I know you're religious. I said, I'm not religious at all. And he said, what do you mean by that? And then I proceeded to tell him about relationship. Uh, because they don't know the difference. No, they don't understand the difference. But you can see a picture of the difference in Acts 4. Uh, and, okay, next, uh, he guides Romans 8.14. Holy Spirit is the one that gives us guidance. I have to move faster, guys, or we will come back next week, and I'll probably be the only one here. 8.14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God uh, are sons of God. Uh, he, he commissions, Acts 13.4. That's the one where Peter, uh, where, not Peter, but the various uh, leaders in the church in Antioch, prophets, uh, were and teachers were fasting and praying and the Holy Spirit said came to spoke and said set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have for them. he commissions them uh, to go about uh, carrying out the work that he wants he commands uh, Philip in Acts 8 Acts 8 29 Philip is involved in one heck of uh, a revival in Samaria I mean he you know any evangelists would be thrilled but the Holy Spirit comes to Philip in the middle of this revival and says I want you to go down to the Gaza Road and Philip says alright but that's the command the Holy Spirit commands him to. this isn't any gas this isn't any puff of wind he commands him to go down to the Gaza Road and then when he gets down there he says the Holy Spirit says see that chariot I want you to go up to it 
And so he does. And of course, once he does, then he hears the eunuch from Ethiopia reading from the scriptures, and Philip takes it from there. But the Holy Spirit, in both cases, commanded him uh, to do that. Uh, he intercedes, and this is a great one, for we, Acts 8.26, and we'll get to this in a little more detail, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Yeah. Peter, yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> I hope on your uh, uh, course guideline you're going to tell us, you know, how we were told to wait for the Holy Spirit, but sometimes... When you hear that word, you're not ready to hear well. You know, I, I've many times gone ahead of the Lord because I didn't have enough, you know, understanding and hadn't been submitted. <coughs> but that distinction between listening to hear and then I'm expecting that God is doing this in this hour. He's drawing us more and more to where he could tell us to go to the Gaza Road. why he will keep us waiting for example in prayer one of them is is that if he gives it to us right away we'll despise it uh, that which costs you you prize you know, that's one reason he will delay but waiting too and waiting in the scripture always means a waiting in communion it doesn't mean a it actually the word wait in the Old Testament is the same root word as a rope that has three strands tightly uh, twisted together. And so when we are waiting on him, we should be waiting in a communion that is drawing us close together. Uh, Isaiah uh, 18 says, he waits on high to have mercy on us. What is he waiting for? Us! us. <laughs> it's us that don't want to come. You know? uh, but he wants eight, Isaiah 30, 18. He waits on high that he might have compassion on us. But the waiting oftentimes is a time of deeper communion. That's how we should be seeing it. Uh, and that's what the Old Testament is talking about, these three-stranded rope that is woven together. It says, they that wait on the Lord uh, shall be lifted up with eagles' wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Eagle's wing stands for supernatural involvement. The eagle in the Old Testament stands for God. It's a symbol, it's a picture of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagle's wings. In other words, as you wait in this three-twisted strand uh, in communion on him, he comes and lifts you up. And then you're able to do physical human things in a supernatural way. Run without being weary. Walk without falling. So waiting is very important. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let me just cover that. Yeah. I just want to see is what she's expressing. Because all of the 
prophets, ministers, I mean, the people that you're speaking about, when they heard the Holy Spirit, in other words, their way of hearing him, they knew it was him who was speaking to them, for them to go and act yeah. upon what they was commissioned yeah. and asked to do. Yeah, how did Philip know? Exactly. Yeah. How did but is Philip that know? the communion that you're telling us to be, that we as believers should be prepared by Studying the show ourselves. Well, and let, let me say, and Kathy, I think we'll get into this in a little bit too. That ability to hear is enhanced by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there are times when He just, uh, you know, He wants us to be still. Isaiah, uh, Psalm 31, uh, I think it's 15, says, My times are in your hands. If you walk with Him at all, you'll find out how crucial timing is. You know, and we don't know what that is, and he does. But yes, uh, uh, in terms of being able to hear and understand uh, his voice, uh, that is enhanced. Doesn't mean you, you can, and we'll see that you can be saved and regenerated and not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, and that doesn't mean you can't hear him, you can. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit enhances that. Yeah. Also, He'll speak if you're prepared to be obedient. Yes. If you're not prepared to do what he says, why should he speak and cause you to sin? Right. So you also have to keep that in mind. If he's, if you want his word, if you want him to speak and tell you what to do, are you prepared to do it if he tells you? Well, that's not what I had in mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it this way. Well, that's sin. I mean, he tells you to do something. You don't do it. That's sin. It's called transgression. So he's not going to speak if he knows. Uh, you know, occasionally God will come to you, and he's come to one of my daughters and said this, ask whatever you will. You know, but because he knows her heart is open for him to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Are there certain translations or commentaries on the Bible that are more truthful about the Holy Spirit and, and some translations that don't give him any credence whatsoever. I mean, uh, New American Standard, do you have certain... Not in, not in that regard that I'm aware of. Now, they do, some translations do tend to draw distinctions improperly with regard to Jesus' atonement. Uh, of they will, um, the, a good example is Revised Standard Version in Romans 3, uh, 25 and 26 says that he is a propitiation for our sins. Revised Standard Version translated it, he is an expiation for our sins. There, that's two different words. Propitiation means he has appeased the wrath of God. Expiation has to do with forgiveness. Jesus appeased the wrath of God. That's why uh, we have expi expiation. And some translations don't like to emphasize the wrath of God, and they tend to do it that way. Translations at certain points become interpretations. Exactly. You know. But as regards to your question, what? I don't know. I, I, don't, I haven't looked at it from that standpoint. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be, but I'm not aware. But as a whole... New American, what are the best versions, New American Standard, and, and, and as far as the truthfully dealing with the Holy Spirit in the whole? Well, each one of them kind of comes from a different direction. NIV will give you a picture of what the, what the gist of the statement is. Uh, NASB will translate it more directly as it was actually from the Greek. Um, 
King James, I like King James. Uh, when in our men's groups, we're often looking at three. We've got guys that are around the table who are, who've oftentimes got three or four different translations, and we're looking at it. For example, Romans 8:15, uh, it says, "For we no longer are subject to a spirit of fear, because the Holy Spirit is in us." Some translations capitalize spirit, spirit of fear, uh, but others translate it with a small s. So when we were in Romans, we were saying, which is it? You know, is the spirit of fear referring to the Holy Spirit, or is it referring to the human spirit? Translations are different. Some of them will capitalize the S, and some won't. But anyway, I don't know if that helps you, but uh, or creates further confusion. But uh, I'll be glad to talk to you about what I know, and I'm hardly the authority on translations. Um, okay, um, he intercedes. Uh, he speaks. Uh, John 15, 26, uh, the Holy Spirit will speak. Anybody ever had the Holy Spirit speak to them? Okay, so there's not a whole, <laughs> not a whole lot of argument on that. Uh, John 15, 26 uh, says, uh, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Also, 1 Peter uh, says uh, something very similar. First uh, Peter one twenty one says, uh, "Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him." Well, see, am I looking at the wrong? I must be looking at the wrong pass. Oh, Second Peter. Second Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke. Uh, from God. Uh, uh, Jesus says that when he speaks he will testify about him. His response to people proves that he is a, uh, a person. What we've already talked about, his grief, he can be grieved uh, in his response to us. Our bitterness, anger, resentment, malice, that sort of thing will grieve him because if he resides within you and you're his temple, bitterness, resentment, Malice, that is contrary to the way he is. And so for you to engage in that grieves him. Now he's not going to leave you and say to hell with you. And I mean that literally not as a, not as a, uh, not as a statement of, you know, what's the word I'm trying to think. Anyway, not literally. He's, you're not going to lose your salvation. But he's having to dwell with you while you engage in this, and that's grief to him. The other thing he knows is it's going to damage you. Uh, he understands that. Okay. Um, oh, here's one. Um, he can be insulted. <coughs> Romans, uh, Hebrews 10.29. We ain't done that. No, that's another decade off. Uh, Hebrews 10.29. How much severer punishment to, do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the trampled under foot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of Grace. So I mean he can he can be insulted, he can be quenched. First Timothy first Thessalonians five nineteen, do not despise prophecy and don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can, that, that's what I say that the cessationist does when he claims that this sort of thing doesn't happen today. He is quenching the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, they're going to say, well, I don't ever see speaking in tongues going, well, of course you don't. You don't believe it'll happen and you ostracize those who do. That sort of thing quenches the Holy Spirit. Uh, I like to say that at one time I attended a church that was so against anything like that, their aisles were slanted from the altar back to the back door so that if there were any holy rollers, they would just roll on out the back door. Uh, but that quenches the Holy Spirit when, when you do that. Uh, when you say, you shall not function in this way, then you are quenching the Holy Spirit. And I agree with Lord Jones, that's sin to, to quench uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, people's responses can prove he's, that he is a person. Uh, he can be obeyed. Uh, Acts 10, 19 through 21. Uh, that's Peter uh, being told by the Holy Spirit. He has this dream. He sees these unclean animals and a sheep being let down. The Lord says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. Peter's famous for this. No, Lord. <laughs> I've never eaten anything unclean. Jesus says, uh, don't declare unclean what I've declared clean. Happens to him three times. As he's musing this, there is a knock at the gate. There are three soldiers from Cornelius. The Holy Spirit says, go down. Don't be afraid to go with him. Go with him. Peter obeys. As Philip obeyed when the Spirit commanded him uh, to go down. Um, uh, disobedience will grieve him. Peter had said, not on your life. That's three Roman soldiers. I looked over the edge of the roof. I know who they are. That would grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, what we said, why would he speak to you knowing that you're not going to obey? That is critical. If you want to hear from him, you be prepared to obey him. If you are not prepared to obey any part of his written word, that word will become abstract to you. You with me? Because you will just put that aside. Okay, uh, he can be resisted. Acts 7.51, Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, talked about to the Sanhedrin that the hardness of their hearts, that they have consistently uh, resisted the Holy Spirit. And Proverbs says one who resists will suddenly be broken without remedy. So, you know, you can resist him. Uh, you can't resist a gas. You can't obey a puff of smoke, but you can disobey or obey, and you can uh, resist. He can be blasphemed. Now, that's dangerous. Jesus said in Matthew 21 that the Pharisees had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and for that, there is no forgiveness. Matthew 12, let's get to Matthew 12, verse 22. How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I have people come to me uh, in the past who were cessationists. And their position was that, for example, speaking in tongues, which in the 70s was the hot button of controversy may still be, I don't know. But they believed that anybody that spoke in tongues today, that that was of the devil. Now they've come to understand that the Holy Spirit functions today like he did before. And now they're frightened that they blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they equated speaking in tongues with the devil. 
Anybody here? You don't have to show your hands, but. Uh, <laughs> and they say, have I committed the unpardonable sin? And I, of course, want to comfort them. And I say, yes, get out of here, wretch. <laughs> First of all, if they had committed the unpardonable sin, they wouldn't be worried about it. The very fact that they're concerned about it is an indication that they haven't. What is it? Well, this will tell us, I think, what it is. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man uh, spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? And when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If by Beelzebub I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. Uh, or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, and here's the verse, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, uh, it, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall not be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, I'm sorry, I think I misread that. Yeah. It shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Woo. Tough stuff. Okay. What happened? Well, how did they do it? They attributed what Jesus had done through the Holy Spirit to Satan. Well, didn't the person who said tongues was of the devil doing the same thing? No, and let me explain. In verse 22, they brought to Jesus a man who was demon-possessed, who was blind and mute. Now, people who are blind and mute doesn't mean they're demon-possessed. But a demon can create that symptom, those symptoms. The Jews themselves had their own method of casting out demons. It was very complex. We don't have time to go into it don't need to. When Jesus says, if I cast them out, uh, you know, if, how do your sons cast them out? Because they did. They cast out demons. They had a system. Part of that system involved getting the demon to name himself. The problem was with a demon of muteness, you couldn't do it because you couldn't make him talk. So he couldn't name himself. But their rabbis and the Pharisees taught that when the Messiah comes, he will be able to cast out the demon of muteness. Okay? Go back to verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. Now, how do the crowds react? The crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? They turn around and they look at their rabbis and they say, you've said only the Messiah will be able to cast out a demon of mutinous. He just did. Is this the son of David? 
And what do they say? Oh, no. No. He does it by Beelzebub, prince of demons. You know? What is the problem? They know that it's the Holy Spirit. They know who it is. And knowing who it is, they attribute it to Satan. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And no one in this room has ever done that. And never will. What was Ananias and Sapphira's problem? They lied to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's dangerous business. Yes. That's yes. dangerous business. They didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Christians are not exempt from discipline. But they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They knew who he was. Uh, in Luke 5, Jesus is speaking in a house, and you, it says in that passage, that all of the, the priests and the Pharisees from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from Galilee were gathered there. Why? They were checking them out. They should have. That was their job. They were the religious leaders. They were checking him out. While he is teaching in the house, four guys open a hole in the roof and let this guy down on a pallet who's crippled. And Jesus says to them, uh, Jesus says to the man, cheer up, son, your sins are forgiven. They say, in their hearts, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They are right. The only problem is who they're saying it about. Jesus says, why think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and take up your mat. Then he turns and looks at the guy and says, get up. Yeah. <laughs> the guy gets up and they give glory to God. Well, if he was really a blasphemer, then why would God have healed him? Right there, they knew who he was. They knew that he had authority to forgive sin. They knew who he was right there on that, at that moment. Because if he had been a blasphemer, the guy would have stayed on the mat crippled. God is not going to bless a blasphemer. And they knew that. When Nicodemus comes to him at night in John 3, the beginning of John 3, he says, Teacher, we know you are from God because no one could do these things. He's on the Sanhedrin. Who does we mean? We means the other guys on the Sanhedrin. They know it. So when they say to the crowd, Son of David? Beelzebub. They know what they're doing. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You with me? I hope your mind's easier about that. But that, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And that still holds, to, holds true today. It does. It does. Because if we have set upon the word and upon an anointed teaching of a pastor that God is speaking through, and we still want to debate in our minds of us, us as an individual want to debate, uh, I don't believe that. And we're saying, I'm looking at all one pick up half truth. Well, well, be well careful what, what they did. They attributed to the Holy Spirit the works of Satan. That's going to be difficult to do. The person either doesn't realize what he's doing or he's got to have to know that that's the Holy Spirit and he is choosing. Now, if he's saying, I, don't, I won't do that, then he's being disobedient. But I don't think he's blaspheming. But blaspheming is very dangerous business and it can't happen unless you know what you're doing. You can't now, I know that Islam doesn't see it this way, but ignorance that you're blaspheming is not 
blasphemy. It's sort of you got to know that you're doing that to do it. Because it was their pride that kept them from acknowledging. That's part of it. Yeah, there was a number of reasons for it. They resented this country bumpkin from Galilee. He hadn't been to seminary. He didn't have no degree. Uh, he he consorted with sinners. They objected to his compassion. He didn't keep their rules. Yeah. He healed people on the Sabbath. You know, they didn't like this guy. On top of that, knowing that he was the Messiah, you have to look at what their understanding of the Messiah was. Their understanding was that he was a king who was going to throw out the Romans. They all thought that from the Sanhedrin to the apostles. They all thought Jesus was a conquering king who was going to throw out the Romans. The problem with that is they were in bed with the Romans. So if there's a regime change, they're not likely to find a place in the next administration. Um, so there's a, and pride is the other part. You know, he, everybody listens to him. They love his teaching. They, they can do without the scribes and the Pharisees. So there's lots of it, lots of things that come together to cause them to do what it is. But for them, it's fatal. And do they have any concerns about it? No, not a bit. They don't like the city of Rome either. Huh? They don't want to say they're wrong. Oh, no. That's the pride she's talking about, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know. Isn't that like hardening their heart? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The more you resist truth, the harder your heart gets, especially when you know it's truth. And a lot of people who say that, that they don't know, know. Because when God imparts the truth to you, you know it. You don't have an excuse. Now, you may not blaspheme, but the more you harden your heart, the harder it is for you to accept. And if you want an example of it, go look at Pharaoh in Exodus. Uh, or Paul's discourse on it in Romans 9. Uh, you know, hardened, continued to harden his heart. He was resistant to the point that even God began to help him harden his heart. And, and that, that can happen. So those are things you've got to watch out about. Okay. Well, let's go another five minutes. We'll take another break. I want to congratulate all of you. I have not caught anybody sleeping yet. It's a miracle for me. Huh? It's a miracle. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving some water in the bottle here in case I catch anybody. Okay. Now that's because I don't have my scrubs on. If I had my scrubs on, I'd be. I hear you. Okay. All right. All right. And now, clearly, the Holy Spirit is a person. Again, uh, mind, will, and emotion can be grieved. Uh, all of these things can be commanded, can, be made, can give commands. All these things indicate that this is not a gas or some puff of smoke, as Anthony said. Um, so this person, thing we want to look at real quick is this person yeah. is God. Yes. Jerry, I think another reason it's hard to uh, uh, some people to see him as a person because nobody ever sees him, <laughs> except as a dove, you know, uh, when he comes down on Jesus. When there's, when there's, there's no other time in the Bible where it's spoke of, you see the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, so. That's true. I mean, you see, Spirit is invisible. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the attributes of God. He's invisible. So are you. Uh, yeah. You've never seen you. This yeah. is another question I got for you. When uh, God came down and walked in the garden with with uh, Adam and Eve, was it God or was it Jesus? What do you have now? <laughs> I only know that God walked with them because yeah. there wasn't any sin in them. 
Yeah. And there was able to be open and direct communion with them. Yeah, that's what that's why I wonder. Yeah. Interesting thing is when it says in Genesis one one, for the Spirit of God uh, hovered over the waters, the earth was void without form, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The Hebrew there is fluttered. Uh, now I don't think the Holy Spirit is a dove. Yeah, I yeah. think that's symbolic. I think he did come down as a dove, but I think that was strictly to create the ability to see. see it. I think there are times you can see. What you have in the garden is that he is the triune God. So it's possible that all three came? Uh, and, and how that yeah, is one Just of most likely will be Jesus. Yeah. Genesis one twenty six says to us, Turn to it. Let us make man in our And I've been taught, and I truly believe, at that point in time, God is, God is three in one. So how is He going to separate Himself later on? It's what He does when He can give us the new, New Testaments. But let us and the old is God the Father, God the God the Son, God the Spirit, all in one. All in one. Yeah. At the, he's. He's that already anyway. So why would he go and say, I'm going to change myself? We don't, yeah, I don't. We, we don't know. We know that there was unbroken fellowship in the garden. We know that yeah. it was bliss. I mean, yeah. we know that it was one moment. The yeah. devil just hated the very idea. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. But how he manifested, it, it doesn't tell us. It does. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Uh, we could spend a lot of time discussing that because his image, the way his image is reproduced in us is absolutely incredible. We are so far above the animals, it isn't funny. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I had a dog one time that lived to be about 12. Uh, my daughters absolutely loved her, but I couldn't ask her to go into the garage and get a hammer for me. Right. When one of my daughters was three, I could tell them and they knew what to do. Yeah. But there just isn't any comparison. comparison you know. mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's just, uh, I mean, we have creative ability. We have, yeah. I was just saying that there was no need for incarnation in terms of the spirit because the incarnation of Christ was specific for, for redemption. the bridging of redemption. Yeah, for redemption. And that, yeah, uh, we weren't sinners. Adam yeah. and Eve hadn't sinned at that time. We don't know. Any of those are, are good thoughts, uh, and I, th I think you're all right. Uh, <laughs> just don't know. We just don't know. Uh, Teach us, Holy Spirit. Uh, well, because I wish we had time to go into what the significance of the incarnation is for us. Well, next Saturday. Okay, go on, sure, next Saturday. I mean, it is absolutely wonderful what he's done. We're able to participate in his glory because he's not just God, he's man. Amen. That's right. right. And so it, it's a, ah, we don't have time to get into it. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah, we were going to look at the fact that this person is God. Yes, yeah, he is God. There just isn't any, he is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. God is three distinct persons. He's not th one person in three manifestations. He is three distinct persons who are co-equal, co-eternal in every aspect. Uh, you know, God, and a good example of that, folks, is God is love. Love always has an object. 
God did not make us because he needed us. God made us to expand the glory. But God is love. If God was just a single person before he made us, where's the object? The object was within the Trinity among the three persons. Um, he, he didn't have to make us. I've heard pastors say he needed us. He needed fellow. No, he didn't. <laughs> he made us in order that we might experience the glory and the joy that is in the constant submission to one another and exalting one another. The secret of joy inexpressible is in that. And he made us that we might do that, see that, and enter into that with us. And of course, sin ruined all that. But he knew that and he was prepared to deal with it. Uh, you know, joy, when, and I've said this, you guys in the Sunday school class know this, but you know, when uh, the, the joy is contagious. You know, when you see beauty, you want people to share it with you. When they share that beauty with you, your joy increases as you see them rejoicing over the same thing. You see a beautiful sunset, you call your spouse or, and say, come here, come here, come here, look, look, look. And they go, oh, isn't that beautiful? You, your joy comes from seeing that in them. See? God, why he did that? You know, to see the joy and the glory of who he is and all that he does increases the joy. You know, Satan really is a stinker. I mean, yes. when you look at the history of our, our world, of blood and murder and war, and, oh, it just makes you sick. Uh, but thank goodness he did something about it. Okay, uh-oh, I'm past our break time. Uh, let's take a five-minute break, and we'll come back and talk about the Holy Spirit as God. And then we'll get to Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through him. And then we'll talk about the baptism, but that will be after lunch. Yes, thank you.